open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We transition from those first three chapters of Ephesians, which are uh, profoundly theological and even uh, uh, deal primarily with the issue of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And then Paul, in chapter 4, transitions from this high theology of salvation into a practical exhortation as to how we are to live because we have been saved by grace. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 16 in just a moment. One of the interesting and, and, and to me, fun things that happens in our Wednesday night prayer meeting and, and Bible study is I often like to, to pause in the midst of our working through these chapters and verses and say something along the lines that this is a passage that certainly personally challenged me. I've struggled with it. Uh, I, I mentioned on this past Wednesday night, we will begin this Wednesday night with the account of Jesus and the discourse with the rich young ruler. And folks, if that one doesn't keep you awake at night, you're not paying attention. If, if, you're not, if you haven't read that and go, oh, wait a minute, what, what is going on here? What, what is Jesus saying? If that doesn't rub you just a little bit, you're not reading your Bible very clearly. And there are just dozens of passages such as that. And then there are passages that, that challenge us to understand theologically how these things can uh, be true. And one of the, the challenges that kind of comes to me a, as a pastor is we emphasize and we preach, and, and we're right on the heels of 1517, which we uh, celebrate the, the rediscovery uh, by Martin Luther and others, the gospel of God's grace, and how Luther lived in frustration and fear and deep anxiety uh, over his standing before God because he understood the futility of all the machinations that the church was demanding of him, that, that there truly was nothing that he could do or give that could make him right with God. And he came to understand the gospel, that the just indeed shall live by faith. He came to understand what grace is and that salvation is freely given and freely uh, received. It is not something that is earned. It's not something that could ever be lost. And having said those things and believing they are absolutely bedrock for the church of the living God, if that is not what you confess and believe, and if that doesn't empower and overshadow your life, you're living it in a profound deficit in terms of what you understand and how it, it works its way out in your life. But as a pastor, and even as an individual Christian, how do we live in view of God's grace? How does that rightly impact us? What, what does it look like in my individual life? What does it look like in the corporate witness and the corporate life of North Clay Baptist Church? And those are important questions. Again, as we emphasize, we're saved by grace through faith and that's not a, that, that aspect of your salvation wasn't even yours. It was a gift of God. But what? We're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do the good works 
that he's determined beforehand that we should walk in. We're saved unto obedience. We're saved unto good works. Are they automatic? Not exactly. Are they irresistible? Yeah. Yeah. Grace is indeed an overwhelming flood in the life of a believer. And so I want to take these next couple of weeks and kind of unpack some things for us. And as over the years we've we've done uh, stewardship campaigns, and that's kind of the, the thrust for these next couple of, of Sundays. But it does really little good to coerce you to open your checkbook if your heart is not open to the truth and the power of the gospel in every area of your life. As much as I want you to give generously just so I can get paid. That was supposed to promote a little bit of a giggle. Um, yeah, what I want more than a paycheck this week is for all of our lives to be completely transformed by the grace by which we are saved. In every dimension of your life. No deep, dark closets that you shut off to everybody, including God, but all things open and in submission to Almighty God. So let's begin our reading again in verse 1. We see that important word, therefore. Paul has spoke uh, extensively about the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So having received salvation by grace through faith, how do you live that out? How does it impact your lives? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for, the, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in its deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth, how we depend upon your grace that we might see, that we might understand, that these things might be applied to our lives for our good, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
in the course of these sermons, it is possible that I may challenge you to do things that you do not want to do. I'll be the first pastor that's ever exhorted and encouraged a church to maybe push beyond where they are. But let me assure you of this. If it is from God's Word and it is God's will that you move from where you are to walking more closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, it's for your good. Now, again, if I'm trying to emotionally manipulate you or give you my own opinion of what you ought to be doing and you know, give, you know things that you should do for my personal comfort or personal satisfaction, then it's wrong. But if we rightly divide and apply the Word of God, it will, by definition, push you out of your comfort zone, which we seem to be quite able and capable of sitting on our assets right in that comfort zone. Okay? So let's, let's look at these. And, and again, understanding that I speak of, of a bit of a, of a tension. And a, a tension that, that, again, runs through Scripture. Saved by grace. Nothing I contribute to my salvation. And yet that very same grace calls us to a lifetime and a lifestyle of obedience. And so that, that may in some sense look a little differently from individual to individual. But there's some very broad things I, should, I could say. Number one. You should be a praying Christian. And it is to your deficit if you're not. I mean, you're hurting, you're hurting yourself if you're not a praying Christian. And probably hurting the ones you love. Number two, you should be a biblical student or a student of the Word of God. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not devoting time to personal study of the Word of God, you're doing it to your own deficit. And again, to the deficit of those that you love. And the third thing, we should faithfully assemble ourselves together. That we need each other. This is not your private thing with Jesus. It's a very public thing with Jesus. And we need to gather together. We need to look each other in the eye. And we need to call each other to holiness. And then we need to model that. And it's not designed to do by yourself. So those are just some broad parameters that I can say to you without batting an eye. And so we begin with the reality of powerful grace, and we've talked recently about quickening grace. But God. But God. How were you saved? But God, while you were dead in trespasses and sin, made you alive. And you didn't contribute to God making you alive. That eye diffused a quickening ray. But guess what? That quickening ray came to an eye that had been made alive to see by God's grace. Okay? And so we owe it all to Jesus. And then it is a, a transforming grace that we would, would will and to work according to God's good pleasure. That is that I believe the comforting and assuring working out of grace is the reality 
that my wants have changed. That the things that I desire, and maybe I could say it this way, are changing. It's a constant changing. Uh, it's very interesting as, as, a, as a, a, a pawpaw now, a grandfather. We have five-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, one-year-old, three-week-old, uh, one in the womb, what, about four months old? I mean, you know, we we, we got grandchildren coming. And they're all in different stages of development. Uh, you know, my oldest, Andrew, can, has a larger vocabulary and better motor skills than my one-year-old Bryce, okay? And, you know, there, there are kids in between. But the thing that I expect is that all of them will pr progress beyond where they are now. Their motor skills will improve. Their vocabulary will improve. Uh, their attention spans will improve. All kinds of things. You know, we and, and, and if they don't, I know three sets of parents that will go to the ends of the earth to find out what's wrong with their child. If they don't start making appropriate steps forward with their growth. How much more so is it true of a child of God? That the normative thing, we grow in grace. That the grace that we say one day shall raise us from the grave is sufficient to work in us to change us in this life. I would be so harsh as to say, if you claim grace, and there is nothing about your life that has changed or is changing, I would have a serious personal examination. Maybe even sit down with somebody you trust and say, what do you see in my life that suggests that I truly know God and the forgiveness of sin? But there should be things that God is doing in your life to grow you in that grace. Just as much as we expect a child to mature and to grow, we should see it in the lives of those who profess Christ. And so this transforming grace, and, and Paul says it kind of broadly and kind of crashly there in, in verse 17, a little bit beyond the text that we read, that we walk away from the ungodly pagan lifestyles that surround us. Now, in other words, it's a good thing to practice biblical morality, biblical sexual ethic, biblical uh, ethics in business and so forth. That, that's very, very good. But it seems to me to be a bit of a starting point. If, if the only thing you can say about the fact that you're not a Christian is that you're not immoral, I mean, thank God. That ain't much. It's so much more nuanced and so much more profound. And so, yes, we, we say no to the, to the darkness of this world. And, and as Paul says there in verse 1, we, we seek to, to walk in this manner worthy. Now, you can, you can take that and, and, and put a, a ton of guilt because there's a reality of what? I'm never worthy of grace. Never for a moment am I worthy of grace. 
But there's also a, a right way of understanding. I, I have been forgiven much. You know, there's a uh, popular musician, and I couldn't name one single song that he sings. Uh, and I'm not even sure I'm, uh, uh, Kanye, is that right, Kanye West? I don't, I don't know what, even what kind of music he does. But he has now professed Christ, and I hope it's genuine. I pray that it's genuine. He is giving great witness to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll have more evidence five years from now, ten, ten years from now, whatever. And You know, somebody, evidently, maybe he, he lived a, a pretty raucous lifestyle and immoral life. I don't know. And, you know, well, can God save people like that? Let me tell you something. If you're saved, he saved you. He saved me. I mean, how much more proof do you need that God can save anybody in any set of circumstances? That is our hope. That's why we pray for the gospel to go forth because God can save anybody. His grace is sufficient for anybody and everybody. Even pop stars, country music stars, football stars, whoever they are, is sufficient. And so this grace is we desire to walk in a way that's consistent, that bears witness. And we see the characteristics there, beginning in verse 2, of humility and gentleness. That's kind of an, an internal thing that, that God works in us. He changes us. It's very slow sometimes. He brings unity through the work of the Spirit in the church. And it, it seems like I'm so often drawn to division and, and controversy, things that we like to dispute in the church. And certainly... I'm one of these. I think doctrine is very important. I mean, forgive me, but you know, I think if you move too far off the center bubble, you're not Christian. I mean, that's just me. I'm, in fact, I'm not sorry. Forgive, uh, forgive me for saying I'm sorry. I'm not. Um, but, but you know, you, you start wiggling out here too far, and, and it's it's not it's not Christian at all. Now, there are things we can disagree on and things that, that, that we'll probably disagree on until we see Jesus. But there's a unity over who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, and what salvation looks like. There really is. Far broader than you think, just because we disagree on tongues or predestination or whatever, whatever it is we disagree on. And so, God, through the work of Christ, brings unity he gives, verse 11, the varying roles to, uh, uh, to people within the church, of which, if you'll look at that, if you want to know who I am and what I am, I'm a shepherd and a teacher. A lot of, a lot of pastors, if you look at their business cards, it'll say pastor-teacher, pastor-teacher or pastor-slash-teacher. That's where that's coming from. And there's a, there's a debate among the exegetes and translators. Is that one concept or two? And many take it that the idea is pastor-shepherd, that it's one concept, and so or pastor-teacher. How, how do I care for the flock that God has entrusted to me? And there are a number of ways, but first and foremost, I make sure that you hear the truth every time I stand before you. That's the most fundamental thing. We were talking, Ellen and I were talking recently, and one of the things that, that I've said over the years is 
Every time I step up here, I'm doing pastoral care. Now, I, you've heard me say it. There's tragedy coming your way if it hadn't already come. And having a biblical view of life in a fallen world doesn't fix it. It doesn't fix it. it doesn't, you don't just, oh, that's right. God's got it. But it's far better than any other alternative. It is far better than any other philosophy and or religion that you can come up with that will help you deal with life. And so, as a shepherd, I try to care for you each and every day so that you grow in grace, so that you can deal with the uncertainties of life. Salvation is certain. Life in a fallen world is uncertain. I mean, who knows what will happen next. And so, notice verse 12. Now, I'm going I'm to use, use a dirty word here. Sandy, are you listening? I want you to listen. I'm fixing to use a dirty word. It ain't stupid. It ain't dumb. Okay? But it is a four-letter word. Okay? Is everybody ready? It's work. Work. Now, that's as, you know, you know, as, politica, as politically incorrect in the culture that you would tell a citizen of the United States of America, you need to get a job and go to work. I'm going to say to the citizens of North Clay Baptist Church, you know what? You need to get a job and go to work. That what God has done, and, and notice here, he's, he's graced each one of us, verse 7, okay, on the basis of his coming to earth, dying on the cross, ascending to heaven. He is dispersed within his church, those he saves by his grace, a grace to get a job. Now, you know, every generation has their cliches. When I was in college, one of our little disses, if somebody said something stupid, which was pretty frequent, man, get a job. Uh, that was, you know, that, that was just, I don't know what, where that came, get a job. Man, get a job. And so I can say to you, Examine yourself, discern how God has equipped you, how grace is working in you, and find how to implement that gracious work of God in you in the life of the church. Yeah. Get off your asset in the comfort zone. Okay? Yeah. Work. Now, now look there, verse 12. To equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, so the church may become robust. We ought, you know, we ought to all walk, walk around here going, whoa, you know, we're spiritually robust. Yes, because we're building each other up. We ought to be doing chest bumps. Now, men to men, women to women, okay? No, 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 for men. Yeah, we ought to be doing spiritual chest bumps because we're excited about what God is going to do in us and through us. And so, we're no longer living for this sensuality, and we're growing in unity. And look there at verse 14, and, and this is what disturbs me with the modern-day church. We live in the day of the sensate church. The church exists. In fact, people have used this term for me to give me the Holy Ghost goosebumps. Well, folks, find that one for me in Scripture. Thou shalt give me the Holy Ghost scoop bumps. 
fact, I'm going to put that in the job description for our minister of music. That's your assignment. It doesn't sound like, woe is me, oh wretched man that I am. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. That's what happens when God comes down in your presence. And so, but, but what I fear is we're a bunch of children in these huge colossal buildings that some of them look like nightclubs and some of them look like cathedrals and everything in between, but we ain't got a clue. And as my, as, as my dad, Heath, here's another summerable term. Do you know what a jack leg is? Okay. Some jack leg preacher comes along, even though he's wearing a $1,000 suit and got a, got a smile that looks like Tracy spent three weeks getting his teeth white. We got any beauticians here in three weeks working on his hair? I don't know who that would be. I don't think we got anybody that cuts hair and does hair, but. Yeah, and they are jacking the church around with this bull. Absolute bull. And so my job is to build you up so you look at those guys and you go bull and women because there's a truckload of them. They want to tell you what God told them last night. There'll be the 67th book coming soon, okay? And so, toss to it, because what? They're cunning. They're smarter than I am. They're making more money than I've got. They got bigger churches than they've got. They got more. Man, I'd love to have a lot more people listen to me. I'd probably be worse than I am, and that's hard for anybody to imagine. Amen. Can you imagine if I behave worse than I do? Yeah. They're cunning. They make it sound right and look good. It doesn't work at the end of the day. And so we want to build each other up so we're working together properly. We're built up in truth and love. Built up. And you've got to keep those things together. We speak the truth in love to each other. Now, if you catch me in the right moment, I may tell you the truth, but it won't be very loving. I've done that before. Some of y'all have done that to me, okay? But it's hard to put them both together. Oh, how I want to straighten folks out sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Truth and love. They go together. And that's what we're here to do. So, again, not only is it rejecting this sensuality, the darkness, but embracing the discipline of Christian living. Jesus, in preaching the gospel, spoke of it, the response as deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. And one of the difficulties that that I find in, in leading a church, as I've told you many times, I grew up at least in the shadow of legalism. And I hate that stuff. I will go to the honky-tonk before I'll be a legalist, okay? I will live with license before I'll be a legalist, I swear. I hate that stuff. It'll kill you. Absolutely. And it'll deceive you. 
into thinking that you're something you're not. I could, I could make, what should your life look like this week? Now, I've already said something. Now, is it legalism for me to say, you ought to pray? You ought to read your Bible? You ought to gather together for worship? I don't think so. I think that's a pretty good framework to kind of begin to build your life around. But if I start telling you, if you're not getting up at 4.30 every morning, spending two hours in your Bible before you go to work, you're probably lost. And 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 if you know if you're not doing this, and if you're not doing that, or if you are doing this, or you are doing that, and here you see, there's a certain type of personality. If I gave you a checklist with ten things on it, these are the ten things you must do this week to be holy. You would do eleven, and you'd strut in here next Sunday morning saying, "Look here, brother Tim. Ah, hmm, look at me." You'd be so you'd be like a peacock walking around, chest all puffed out. And that's not grace. That's not giving you bunches of rules and protocols and things like that. But we don't want you to fall into the other ditch on the other side of the road of, of license. I mean, you can't you can't live like the pagans. And, and there is a sense. Maybe you can take some cues from the pagans. You go, oh, I don't need to go there. <laughs> you know. But it's far more than that. And cultivating both discipline and desire within your life. Let me ask, have any of you, don't raise your hand, because I'm afraid all of you would raise your hand today. I started to say something really ugly, but I, I didn't. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Um, how many of you have ever come to church and you really didn't want to come? Don't, I said don't raise your hand. I'm just going to raise my hand representatively. How many of you have read your Bible when you really didn't want to? How many of you have ever prayed, particularly for somebody that you didn't even like? There were some uncomfortable giggles out there. <laughs> I hope the one you're praying for you don't like is not the preacher. But sometimes you just got to suck it up. Sometimes you just got to suck it up. Sometimes it, it, it is an act of self-denial. You know, I've, I've told you before in, in the physical realm, I could, I could literally, pull, you know, my, my cell phone every morning goes, you're seven minutes from Jack. I mean, it pops up every single morning of my life. That tells you a little bit about my lifestyle. So I get a bacon, egg, cheese, biscuit with no cheese and a Diet Coke. You see, it all balances out. There's no calories in that. In that. But I could go through, I could eat six of those biscuits. I could eat six and come back at lunch and eat the triple cheeseburger with no stinking mayonnaise on it and two orders of French fries. You know, I ha I don't go to Red Robin. Is Red Robin the place that does all the fries you can eat? I don't think that's heaven, but I sure wouldn't mind a stop off there on my way up. I'm, I'm telling you. 
But I have to discipline myself. I have to say, so some of the Christian life is you got to discipline yourself. And thank God, some of we're just transformed that we're doing. You know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I get to do the things I love every week. I get to do the things I love every week, serving you. And other than rare days when Ruby or Sandy gets on my case, you know, sometimes that's not real pleasant. But, but other than that, it's a pretty good gig. It's a pretty good gig. But God changes us. And some, sometimes the Christian life, you just got to hit your pants up and go for it. And sometimes it's simply, oh, I know. This is what God has equipped me to do. And, man, you can do it with a smile and with joy. And I've told you before, as I look across the church many times, I see people smiling and laughing and enjoying doing things like, thank you, Lord, I don't have to do that. Because guess what? Grace has been distributed and empowered us in different ways. And thank God. Thank God for that. So there's there's a negative, no longer living. There, there's a discipline. And, and trying to learn how to... to Live with freedom and discipline. And please understand this. this. Where there is no discipline, there's slavery. Okay? If you're not disciplined, you're enslaved. I've told you before, I'm one of these people, I I could be enslaved to eating easily. I very seriously could. I love to eat. And I do it right well. And there are things that I have to say no to. And here's the thing. There is a point of contact between your physical well-being and your spiritual well-being. If you don't take care of yourself physically. We were talking about you Friday night, Bo. Really were. My brother-in-law, Doug, that you used to buy meat from, was talking about how much he likes it. And I said, you just don't know the guy. I said, let me tell you something. And then I bragged on him. I said, listen, 92 years old, wide open, wide open. Because God has graced him, but he's also taken care of himself. And he has the strength and the energy to serve. And so there's a discipline that has a physical aspect that you you just can't eat everything you want and not take care of yourself and expect, at 60, 70, 80, 90 years old to still be able to enjoy the things of life. And the same thing in the Christian life. If you're not living a disciplined Christian life, you're under slavery to your own sin and self-indulgence, which Jesus said what? Deny yourself. Don't indulge yourself. Deny yourself. Follow me. That's what we're to do by the grace of God. And so, all of that is a part of, and look at chapter 5 for just a moment. Again, a therefore, be imitators of God. This week, something happened. I was pushing Jude in his little red car. And we were going down the hill, and he stood up in his little red car, and he had the steering wheel. And I'm pushing him, and he's riding. And I don't know why it struck me, but one of the images I have of my dad is we had a blue Ford 3000 tractor, 
that we bush hog pastures with. And I can still see him out there on that tractor as maybe he'd get through the ditch or the little creeks we'd have to go across, and he would stand up so he could see where the potholes were and holes and rocks and so forth to get across. And I, it just it just struck me. You know, there is my dad's great-grandson looking like his great-papa, imitating somebody he didn't really even know, never got a chance to, to know. But we are, because we have God's, and, and, and this is not a Joel Osteen kind of thing, but let me just use it, you know, illustrative. God's Spirit in us, let me just, I'm, I'm going to stay away from his language. God's Spirit in us compels us to imitate him, to imitate him, to take on his character, the character of, of gentleness, the character of humility, the character of, of love, because now my grandson is his great-great-papa, or great-papa's great-grandson. And he, he just struck me, he's imitating. Never saw him do that, but he's imitating. And so we're children of God. We're to be imitators of God. And we're to, to walk in love. And then notice here, verse 2, and gave himself up for us. What are we to do? We're to imitate God. We're children of God. We're to walk in love. We're to live sacrificially. You can't always get what you want, right? can't always get what you need, right? Sometimes you need to say, you know, just get in the habit sometimes of saying no to yourself. It, it is a daggum good discipline. Just say, you know, Nike says just do it. I'm going to give you another one. Just say no. Wasn't that Nancy Reagan's deal? Just say no? Yeah, okay. Sometimes just say no. I won't, I won't, no. Just to bring yourself under discipline, to live sacrificially. I was uh, visited with Mike Burdett last night looking at a, a book that he had uh, written by an Alabama man that uh, served in World War II, served in the Pacific War, E.B. Sledge, Sledge. I was skipping around looking at things, looking at pictures. And I'm still amazed at a generation of men that willingly went knowing there was an outstanding chance they would die for their country. How do you do that? How, how, I mean, how do you cultivate a generation of men like that? That his parents are saying, you stay in school and you, you, know, you don't do that. You, get a, you can get an office job. He's like, no, I'm going to go fight. And how we need that in the church to be willing to live sacrificially not for well i don't like and i don't want and why don't you live sacrificially jesus said what deny yourself deny yourself that that is a, the, kind of a basic precept of christian living is i don't get to promote my agenda let me think, just think very quickly about, again, broader discipleship. We are followers of Jesus. In other words, these are just images that I want you to get in your mind as we seek to grow in grace, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, to serve Him uh, in the
this church and in his world and this community, we're followers. Followers. We're learners. One of the things that I don't uh, understand is people that, that get to the place, I don't want to know now. I don't want to know. I don't want to learn. Jesus says, take that yoke. It's easy. Come and learn from me. Come and learn from me. How do you learn from Jesus? Right here. This is how you learn from Jesus. Right here. And so we're, we're learners. That's essentially what a disciple means. You're a student. You're a learner. And, and we're a practitioner. Uh, Martin Luther didn't like the epistle of James. Why? Because James very beautifully weaves together how faith and works coalesce in the Christian life. That a faith that doesn't work its way out in obedience is really not the kind of faith that God looks at as saving faith. doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. We're new creatures. New sets of desires. Paul can speak of the old passing away. All things become new. Just a different way of seeing things. That, that self-denial is not such a bitter pill to swallow as it once was. Once all you had to live for was self-gratification. Now there's something bigger than us to live for. We're to be a living sacrifice. And notice in, in Romans 12 when Paul opens that. Do you remember how he opens it? Therefore... That means go back and study 12 chapters before you even proceed. In view of God's mercy. As I look at the Son of God crucified at Calvary for my sin and His saving me, then as I take a view of that, then I kind of understand why it is a right thing for me to live sacrificially why it's a right thing because he's forgiven much and he's given much he's given much and then Paul just compares us to a soldier he says in 2 Timothy 2 3 that no soldier gets himself involved in civilian affairs that his mindset is to, to obey his commanding officer he seeks to please him so it, it kind of ties in with that last point that we're sojourners. We're just passing through this world. Don't put your roots down so deeply that it kills you when you leave. But that we're soldiers that, that are on a mission to serve God in a foreign land, in a hostile land. And that requires a certain type of discipline. Again, another image. Paul can compare us to an athlete. I saw um, the last Saturday night, you know, Auburn tried to do everything they could to get beat. Kind of typical Auburn stuff. And late in the game, uh, the Mississippi Ole Miss quarterback completed about a 40-yard pass, got into Auburn territory, except for one thing. One of the linemen had held. And it voided the play. 
And so Paul kind of talks about that, says, you know, if you're an athlete, you got to what? Compete according to the rules, and you have to discipline yourself. You, you, you bring your body under subjection by discipline so that you don't violate the rules and be disqualified for the prize. Kind of an interesting image for us as we think about our service to the Lord. Soldier, athlete, servant, you're bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body. And then we mention the soul of Christ. Let me, let me close with this final, say just a word about salvation and good works. Several years ago, David Platt, the young pastor at Brook Hills, uh, who's gone on to other things, he wrote a book called Radical. And I liked it, and I thought, particularly the part about the soteriology, about his doctrine of salvation, I thought it was good. But the young man, that uh, pastor that went to Africa with me, we, we were talking, as pastors are wont to do, about doctrine and theology. And he said something I thought was really good. That one thing that Platt meant, meant, missed in his book is the importance of normal Christian living. And by normal, I mean biblical husband, biblical father, biblical businessman, now, again, what he was challenging people to do was be willing to go to Afghanistan and die for your faith and so forth. And that's, that's good. That's, that's good. I mean, that's, there's a part of that. But don't forget the normal of devoted Christian living right here. That there's a radical aspect to all obedience. And so how do we live with freedom? And joy? And how does grace work so deeply into our souls? We live with a, a, new, a new set of disciplines and a new set of desires that we would honor God, that we would encourage one another, and we would make a profound difference on a hope, in a hopeless and on a hopeless world. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace, for your truth, for the power of your truth. I pray that you would transform us, that, Lord, that indeed we would become learners, uh, that we would become practitioners of that which we profess, that, God, your grace would work its way out in, in increasingly dynamic ways, that, Lord, we would live in faithful obedience, that we would live a, an obedience that would make an impact for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask Tim to, to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation, a closing hymn. And as always, we're going to invite you to, to stand and to sing. And if there's a response that you want to make public today, we would invite that. Or again, we just invite you to kind of think about what's been said and how God has worked with these things in your own heart and mind today. Tim.